This podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, who makes it easy and fun to simply step outside. That might mean breaking a speed record in a rugged, built-for-fun sonic snow tube, walking an extra block in a warm, weather-resistant down jacket, or just taking a breath on your doorstep before cozying up in a quilted sweatshirt. For however you experience the outdoors, shop clothing and gear at llbean.com. Be an outsider. On a picturesque estate in a historic Woodstock, Vermont, carriage roads cross-cut the property through fields flanked by stands of trees, providing scenic views of the estate, the adjacent farm, and the surrounding area. Historic buildings lie scattered across the estate, the mansion, the carriage barn, the wood barn, the horse shed. This idyllic setting, filled with old hardwood trees, open pastures, stone walls, and covered bridges, is the Marsh Billings Rockefeller National Historical Park. I'm Jason Epperson, and this is the America's National Parks Podcast. The Marsh Billings Rockefeller National Historical Park is not singularly focused on preserving the historic estate or even the glaciers and ice sheets that produced the geological features of the region. It's about preservation in the broadest sense of the word, conservation as preservation. The three men for whom the park is named, George Perkins Marsh, Frederick Billings, and Lawrence Rockefeller, were pioneers of environmental conservation, each in his own time. Each lived on this estate, each contributed to a focused effort to increase awareness of environmental factors and impacts to preserve the vast American natural resources. The primary purpose of the park is to interpret the history and evolution of conservation stewardship in America, centered around these three giants in the field. The concept of conservation goes back a long time, farther than most of us would instinctively consider. It seems like such a modern concern in this day and age of reduce, reuse, recycle, of climate change, of deforestation, of industrialism. But this is a misconception. In the early 1800s, the United States Navy established forest reserves to ensure enough hardwood to build battleships. Although not conservation in the truest sense, since the protected forests would be cut down to build ships, it was nonetheless an acknowledgement that trees are not an endless resource, and ensuring there are enough for any given purpose requires mindful planning and protection measures. It was a start the germination of an idea that would grow into a powerful movement. By the mid-1800s, when the United States Department of the Interior was established, visual and literary arts that brought nature and its promise and perils into mainstream literature and artwork took flight. Painters Albert Bierstadt, Thomas Moran, and Frederick Edwin Church began creating sweeping works of art that depicted the American wilderness. Big names like Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau swept the movement along. Never underestimate the power of the arts as a catalyst for awareness and change. George Perkins Marsh, born in 1801 on the property that is now the estate, is considered the father of the American conservation movement. He may not have been the first to worry about cascading effects of deforestation, but he was vocal and in a position of prominence and caught the attention of the young nation. Here's Abigail. 
Even as a child, George Perkins Marsh observed that logging caused more than simply the absence of trees. A domino effect played out before his eyes. Trees were cut down. Erosion depleted the topsoil. Increased silt in rivers, streams, and lakes. Impacted the health of fish habitats. And the fertility of farmland decreased. Singular acts, he discovered, have far-reaching consequences. In the mid-1800s, as ambassador to the Kingdom of Italy, Marsh learned of Europe's scramble to mitigate the effects of deforestation and began writing his manifesto, Man and Nature, subtitled Physical Geography as Modified by Human Action. The book changed the way the world thought about and treated that which they had taken for granted, the land on which they lived, worked, and played. Published in 1864, the book challenged the assumptions and policies governing human interaction with nature. Marsh asserted that human impact on the natural world not only changed the appearance of the landscape, but its complex functionality. He further asserted that careless human actions could alter the very climate on the planet. Man and nature was widely read, and Marsh's philosophies were embraced by enough people to ultimately contribute to the formal establishment of the National Forest Service and Forest Reserves. Although the social and technological framework of American life has changed dramatically in the more than 150 years since the book's release, the underlying tenets and dire predictions remain the same. We are responsible for being good stewards of our world, or we will pay the price for its destruction. The park's namesake, Frederick Billings, made his fortune after traveling west to California, or to be more specific, his first fortune. As a lawyer at the time of the California gold rush, his clients were many, and he invested his earnings in land holdings that increased tremendously in value at the time. Upon returning to the East, Frederick Billings made his second fortune as president of the Northern Pacific Railroad. But in the context of our story, we can't overlook another significant facet of his move back to Vermont. Frederick Billings purchased the land of George Perkins Marsh's estate and the adjacent farm. He read Marsh's writings and subscribed to Marsh's philosophy of nature stewardship. And in line with the saying, put your money where your mouth is, Billings had both the finances and the clout to start putting the concepts of environmental conservation into practice. Heavily invested in property in Montana, Billings lobbied tirelessly for the establishment of Yellowstone National Park, which could, he reasoned, have a tremendous environmental influence on mainstream America because it would be accessible via the railroad. Back in Vermont, Frederick Billings focused his attention on undoing the environmental damage that had resulted from the deforestation of Mount Tom and other local nature grievances. He had purchased Marsh's 11,000-volume library for the University of Vermont. In addition to Marsh's home, Billings purchased the adjacent farm and began a campaign to advance farming to a new, environmentally sound discipline. He believed that farming was a scientific endeavor, and a multidisciplinary one at that, melding agriculture and ecology to focus on sustainability in conjunction with food production and profit. As part of his efforts to underscore the importance of environmental stewardship and make it accessible to all, Frederick Billings created the 10-mile network of carriage roads on the estate and opened them to the public, providing access to the views and a potential immersion in nature. 
We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick break for a message from our favorite place to search for the best campground for your national park adventures, Campendium. Campendium lists virtually every campground in North America and every type of campsite you can imagine. From remote backcountry tent sites to RV parks with water slides and pickleball courts, you can search by price, including free or by cell service, elevation, whether pets are allowed. Dozens of different search filters will bring you detailed user reviews so you can find the best campsite for your trip. Campendium is free at campendium.com or on the app, and you can upgrade to a RoadPass Pro membership to unlock an ad-free experience with more detailed cell service reports, public land map overlays, trail maps, and more. A RoadPass Pro membership also includes other premium apps like Togo RV and Road Trippers. Visit Campendium.com or download the app today and save $10 off a RoadPass Pro membership with code RVMILES10X. After Frederick Billings' death, the property remained in the family under the management of his wife and later his daughters. By the middle of the 20th century, Frederick Billings' granddaughter, Mary French, and her husband, Lawrence Rockefeller, inherited the state. Rockefeller was considered a prominent conservationist and, like Frederick Billings, a philanthropist. He was in some manner an amalgamation of both Marsh and Billings, that combination of philosophy, financial backing, and action. The Rockefeller family, including Lawrence's father and grandfather, were vital supporters of parks and historic preservation and had the fortune to invest in such environmental pursuits. As a member of a family notorious for its wealth and an environmental advisor to five United States presidents, Lawrence Rockefeller said, I do not believe that wealthy candidates should spend vast resources in their own campaigns, implying that putting their vast fortune into worthy ventures for which they are not the only or primary beneficiaries is the ultimate contribution to society. Lawrence Rockefeller took the foundational work of his father and grandfather, who had invested in such national parks as Great Smoky Mountains, Shenandoah, Acadia, Redwood, and Grand Teton, and expanded on it. He wanted to complement conservation of natural spaces with greater access for tourism to promote devotion to and preservation of the environment by the greater population. Lawrence continued the family practice of investing in national parks with Virgin Islands National Park. Lawrence and Mary eventually donated the estate and the farm to the National Park Service. Holding fast to the principles of ecology that underpin the National Park Service, Lawrence asserted that concern for the environment and access to parks is not frivolous or peripheral. Rather, it is central to the welfare of people, body, mind, and spirit. However, Lawrence Rockefeller's approach garnered a fair amount of backlash as his vision for combining environmental conservation with recreational growth began veering away from ecological health to tourism and access, punctuated with construction of marinas and golf courses. As a result of the criticism, Rockefeller re-evaluated his policies and priorities realigning with a more ecological approach, including alternative agriculture and renewable energy. The park, to be sure, practices what it preaches. It is one of the oldest scientifically managed forests in the United States. 
A target emission level has been established with a plan to achieve it. In 2010, the park implemented a trolley for the surrounding town of Woodstock, powered by electricity generated from the methane gas that is produced during the decomposition process of cow manure from the local farms. We are, after all, stewards of the Earth, this wondrous planet we inhabit. It is perhaps a stretch to say that we humans have a symbiotic relationship with our environment. We, the humans, are fully dependent on the natural resources of the world. Nature, on the other hand, fares better in many cases without our interference. How will we, as a species, as a society, juggle this delicate balance moving forward? In the words of George Perkins Marsh in Man and Nature, The earth is fast becoming an unfit home for its noblest inhabitant, and another era of equal human crime and improvidence would reduce it to such a condition of impoverished productiveness, of shattered surface, of climate excess, as to threaten the deprivation, barbarism, and perhaps even extinction of the species. The Marsh Billings Rockefeller National Historical Park blends a historic estate and farm with conservation and the use of art to increase awareness of the environment. Covering 550 acres, the grounds are open dawn to dusk daily throughout the year for pedestrians and equestrians and cross-country skiers in the winter. The visitor center is open Memorial Day through the end of October. Encompassing the Mount Tom Forest and the Pogue Lake, Marsh Billings Rockefeller National Historical Park provides a living example of the history of forest environmentalism, from the earliest American planned and managed reforestation project in the country to modern sustainable forest management. The park provides a varied environment that visitors can experience in many ways. The mansion is open for tours. Hiking opportunities are plentiful along the carriage roads and trails. The visitor center features exhibits and research opportunities. Wildlife found on the property includes weasels, deer, black bear, fox, and coyote, bobcats, shrews, and moles, bats, rabbits, frogs, and toads, lizards, and snakes, and a plethora of birds. The park programs are many and varied and range from Civil War walking tours to the Forest Festival to food and agricultural programs, ecological sustainability programs, and art programs. One staple among the offerings is Trek to Taste, a combination of the hiking trails and the importance of growing our own food in partnership with local farms. The Conservation Study Institute is based in the park, and the park offers many citizen science programs. Art is a significant component of the park's focus, and it supports an artist-in-residence program and art workshops. Ongoing environmental studies and programs include integrating climate science into forest management and development of actionable plans to adapt forests to changing environmental conditions. A visit to the Marsh Billings Rockefeller National Historical Park can be easily paired with St. Gaudens National Historic Site in New Hampshire or a hike on the Appalachian Trail. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, narrated by Abigail Trebu, and written by Lauren Eisenberg Davis. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. 
If you're interested in RV travel, check out RVMiles.com or find us at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. And by Campendium. Find listings and reviews for thousands of campsites for your next national park adventure at Campendium.com. <laughs>